How's it going, everybody? Happy October. I would say probably most of the country has an archery season that's open now, so hopefully you've been able to get out and do a little bit of hunting yourself. I just got back home from elk hunting the last couple weeks, and this will be the final one about elk hunting for a while. We're going to start talking about deer hunting a lot again, but both my dad and I had elk tags this season, and my dad has been elk hunting now for three years, but this was the most that he's been able to get out and pursue him. He's now a Colorado resident, so he was able to have a little bit more time than he has in the past to get out and hunt. And he really got after it this year and he learned a lot. And in this episode, we're gonna be talking about some of the things that we learned this season. And at the end, I tell the story of the bull that Ben, Colin, and I ended up getting on the last leg of our elk trip this season. Like I've said in the past, elk hunting has become a huge interest of mine. I would say that during September, it's definitely my favorite thing to hunt, but I'm definitely excited about getting in the deer woods and starting to chase whitetails again. Before we get into the podcast, though, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. As you probably know, social media and hunters' content don't always get along real well. So if you want to join a social platform that's free, that was built by hunters and anglers just like you, visit downloadgowild.com or check the description of this podcast and there's a link down there as well. None of your hunting or fishing photos will be censored on Go Wild and they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. So if that interests you at all, check out the description of this podcast and go over to the link to sign up. All right, let's talk elk hunting with my dad. I guess we're just going to start talking about like what we learned this elk season. And uh, I know I learned a lot this elk season because I've had limited elk hunting experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went with you guys one time just as a cameraman, helped out. Learned a lot that year because it was the first time I ever experienced it. And then I did go with a group of friends to Montana, which was a good experience, but I would say I didn't really learn a lot about elk hunting there because we were on a guided hunt. But this year I got a tag in Colorado being a resident and I got to go pretty much a whole month of September on the weekends and then a couple extended weekends and uh, all by myself, uh, which I kind of like in a way, but I think you can learn a lot quickly. The number of encounters I had was really incredible. you know, going out every day by myself and just like trying to figure it out, learning like maybe the calling techniques a little bit, but more just the habitat and, you know, what, how to, how to get closer. And what I think I just described it to the other day was, uh, what I think I like it so much is it's like turkey hunting on steroids. You've described it, but mm-hmm. you can see the animal quicker. Like you can, you, you can hunt them pretty much the same way. At least that's what I think except you can visually see them quicker because they're huge yeah and that just makes it so much fun well and they can't see as well i think too is a big factor of it like in comparison to moving in on a turkey that's gobbling it's like you have to be super particular about where you're going and you still obviously don't want to be stupid with uh walking out into the open or whatever right well maybe it's a combination of deer and turkey then because you got the they get the good sense of smell mm-hmm. so we i'm used to hunting the wind with deer mm-hmm. yeah and i'm used to hunting turkeys 
with the uh, you know the same calling calling techniques and the Sounds. using the saddles and using the the the, the, the ridge back or something to get close mm -hmm. with that before I set up my calling and mm -hmm. things of that sort. So, uh, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. A uh, number of things I learned are just I think off the charts. Do I think I know everything yet? No, but I do know you got to find the elk first mm -hmm. and for me that was just literally getting back there a little mm -hmm. bit farther than everybody else i mean the area i was going to i was day hunting a lot and then long weekends and uh there were people hunting there but i only saw the same two guys in other words there was only two of us getting back three to four miles sure. and uh uh once i got there past them even i don't think there was really anybody mm -hmm. and uh i learned where they were pretty much staying and uh i was really shocked at how many i was running into like the beginning of september I, they weren't bugling no, i'm gonna say gobbling but it's no i'm <laughs> going to say it because i'm so used yeah. to saying gobbling but they weren't bugling but i was able to figure out where they were located see them physically uh call them in with like i would call it like light technique of just like uh cow calling and raking because mm -hmm. i wasn't super confident in my bugling mm -hmm. and then um, i was able to get oh man i don't know like five or six to come to 65 67 yards by visually seeing them mm -hmm. then not seeing me yep and just being aggressive with like getting a little bit closer as far as like close as i could possibly get a lot of oak brush where i was hunting so i was able to get into that get close and then just rake and cow call and not even bugle when I was able to physically, mm -hmm. I could, I could put my see, eyes on them and see their reaction and see that they were curious and they were coming mm -hmm. and not one bugle. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first couple of weekends. That's kind of what I was doing. And then, uh, I don't know, I, they, it's all going to run together, but I remember going in early one morning and, uh, there's a bear hunter going with a rifle and we were both like an hour before light. And I was, I was going to go back my three or four miles and he, we talked at the truck and, and, uh, he told me where he was going roughly and he was going to a similar place to where I was. But I start walking up the trail. I didn't get a mile up the trail. And I hear like four or five bulls and, uh, and I was like, now they're on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, uh, as I was sitting there listening in the dark, he comes along and we talk about it and he keeps moving and I just go after him. But I had to wait a dark, like an hour in the dark and I was really super close to them, like mm -hmm. close enough that when at times it's like, oh no, they're coming too close. Yeah, they're gonna catch it. Before they're gonna catch the wind daylight. at me before, before it even gets a daylight. They're gonna be here, but I just waited till daylight and uh, and then just went after them like a turkey. And uh, uh, you know, I I guess as the week went on or the month went on, I just got more aggressive, like going in deep, like closer, and just before I called. Yeah, is that yeah? And I and and I kind of knew that, but. And just not having a ton of experience, I when we were in Montana, we did it the last day, and it's like that's when we had all the action. We just like dove in there and it's just like went. You have nothing to lose. Got nothing to lose, and that's kind of why I, I wish I would approached it the whole month. Mm -hmm. Like get day nothing one. to lose. Day one, and yeah. uh, I mean, I was able to hear them go in, get close enough that when I bugled, they, I mean, bugled right back they bugle you know they're interacting back and mm -hmm. forth with me and i was 100 yards mm -hmm. i just think that if i had just cut that down to 50 before i could you know yeah. you know the situation every situation is different yeah. maybe it's 30 maybe it's maybe it's 100 depending on the land but uh, i was able to figure out where they wanted to be and where they were going and uh, i think there's like three times that i had an interaction with a bull 
I started running the, the herd bulls with cows mm-hmm. and I would uh, get close. I couldn't quite make him mad enough to like, I could see them mm-hmm. and he would bugle back and just look over and like posture a little bit, but then he would round his cows up mm-hmm. and go over the hill yeah. and then I'd run over the next mountain or not run, but as fast as I could yeah. get there and do it again. Yeah. And uh, as long as the wind was right, I could continue to do it. The thing that, we talked about a lot in the last podcast that is different than um, how we've hunted in the past, I guess, is like kind of the main topic was that we used to always feel like we had to call to every elk. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, every situation is different. You could, I mean, we'll always beat that dead horse, I guess, but like, it seems like when you have a bull with cows, their tendency is to probably not come into a lot of calling. Right. It's like that herd bull seems to be like he's pretty classic to round up and move. And I've observed it with real elk. So like right. one day I was hunting with Grant this season and I don't know like who was who and you know wh- where the dominant bull was necessarily. But what we observed was was one bull with like probably five to eight cows and he was way up high and he bugled and then or him or one or the other one would bugle and the other one would respond and it was really interesting because the bull that we could observe with the cows he would stand there and look and he would rub and he would rake but he would never actually go closer to the actual bull and as soon as he had the opportunity to they went up and out of there, like way up and out of there, like ran to the whole other side of the mountain. And I just found that interesting because it's like, okay, here's a real situation. Like, it's not like they're going to go, you know, bash their antlers together necessarily. Like he's going to do the same thing in, in a real life situation when there's an actual bull there. And I think that that's, you know, kind of what it makes kind of what makes calling hard it's almost like calling to a turkey that has hens right it's mm-hmm. like no matter what perfect sound you make it's like well what's the point of him leaving you know to come sure. over to you and unless he feels like you're maybe in that bubble of like if you could get to where he's like wait a minute some of my cows are on that side of the knoll mm-hmm. and you're on this side right. with them and he doesn't see all his cows right that's that perfect situation exactly. that you run into in turkey hunting where they just pop over yeah and you get it's like yeah we got that turkey the one time in iowa that was exactly a, the same a dominant bird with mm-hmm. a group of hens we were just outside of sight from him they were milling around and we started getting excited and he got kind of fired up and just popped just, just whatever enough. 20 30 yards from his hens he was right. probably only 60 yards from us the next thing you know he's in our lap but it's, it's, you know, also the same thing too, where you talk about like a turkey with hens and that's why that like stalking them with the decoy or like reaping is so right. effective, right? right? It's like you take a male bird and he's closing into that bubble and all of a sudden the other male bird's just like, wait, I got to go fight him and I got to go run him off. Yeah. Where when we're calling to elk, yeah, we might be raking and everything. But it's like, if he can't see you too, it might just not even be a threat. And that's why he's rounding them up and going up and out of there. And I don't I was, know. I just find that aspect of it pretty interesting. Like in comparison, when you find that lone bull, he's like more likely to, well, you know what? I got nothing going on. Like I'm going to go over here and, you know, see if I can't, you know, run this other bull off or 
right. you know, well, find gonna, this cow. I was wondering, I, I've been thinking about this. We haven't really had a chance to talk about it, but Mm-mm. I was wondering what you thought of this. Like I can't, early when they weren't bugling, mm-hmm. it was like there was a bull and then there was the satellite bulls. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then once the bugling really started like consistent every day, every night with the cows, with the, or, you know, when they had a herd. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the satellite bulls. I didn't yeah. ever heard them. I never saw them. And I just, I don't know. I was like, I kept expecting that to happen. Like, man, he is just, there's got to be satellite bulls here somewhere that know that there's six or 20 cows here with yeah. this bull. Where are they at now? Like, why aren't they hanging in the perimeter? Like, that's what I expected any moment to happen. It and almost it seems happen. like, you know, when you watch whitetails rut, it almost seems like the big bucks, like at the end of, we've had the luxury of hunting um both iowa and ohio um which has the late uh later gun season than most right. states mm-hmm. so we have a rut that plays out all the way into um thanksgiving thanks thanksgiving and yeah till basically the guns start going off and it kind of slows it back down or makes it turn to more night movement i suppose but it seems like in those two states early in november it's like all those young bucks it's it's kind of like first week of september which we did kind of talk yeah. about last night yeah, you know it's like yeah. Se- september one through seven is comparable to like november one through seven where the two and three year old bucks in november the whitetail rut are kind of running around chasing they're all excited and then by the time it's november 17th 18th to you know the end of the month they're just kind of like I'm kind of afraid of big guy over right, there. Like probably. when he's kind of more shy and he's maybe been, you know, maybe he's got tines in the rump a few times and he's like, I better not go running in there. Not to say that you can't find individuals that are a satellite buck or a, or a situation even where like a bigger white tail and another bigger white tail meet on, you know, November 27th. I mean, that certainly happens, but it almost seems like maybe that's what happens with elk too, because I have noticed similar things where it's like, it kind of gets to the last couple of years. I've been hunting a lot the second half of September. And it seems like when you get to that certain point where, you know, cows are certainly in estrus and there's rut is in full swing. Yeah. It's almost like the small bulls disappear. And it's yeah. just like, where'd they go? Yeah. That's, that was definitely weird. I mean, I, and now that you're saying it and it's, you know kind of obvious but i mean the curiosity part like in september we've had little small bucks you know satellite bucks or whatever you want to call them like come to our sounds come mm-hmm. to walking come to you know in, yeah in just, november in, you're saying not yeah, you said september, well i'm talking about november white with whitetail now in september it was exactly the same scenario yeah. like they were just kind of curious like oh i hear one rake and i'm gonna go over there and see what's going here's on here's my chance to like and I feel like we had the same thing. So the first year I hunted, we hunted September, uh, whatever the season opened. I can't remember if it was the second that year or not, but from then until like the 10th or 11th and that first 10 days of season, we were, um, seeing a lot more bulls alone mm-hmm. and then like in the next few years it's like we saw a whole lot more elk in big herds and it was like every time we'd see a bull it was a you know a no doubt shooter type of bull you know i felt like that first year it was seemed like there was just more alone and that was early now i think there's pros and cons to 
I guess this is the opinion that I've formulated at this point and not to say that this is fact by any means, but it seems like there's this super, um, everybody seems super anxious to get in the woods. So when September 2nd or whatever rolls around for the opener or first, depending on what state you're in, it seems like that's when people want to get out the most. Sure. And then it seems like people are like, especially the non-residents just kind of are gone. Right. And then the hunting pressure just starts to die off. And it's the same thing you can see in the Ohio right. rut. You know, it's like you roll up to public land and it's like, oh, there's North Carolina, Michigan, Pennsylvania plates, West Virginia, New York. Everybody's there. Everybody's there November 1 through 10. And then by Thanksgiving, you can go to that same place and there's nobody, and there's there. nobody there. Same thing in Iowa, same thing in any place where, you know, you've got that whole time to bow hunt or it's the same thing as like a North Dakota or Nebraska for early season whitetail. It opens in early September. It's like everybody and their brothers there because they're excited right. to go. And I'm not it's, saying it, that it's historically like that's how hunting traditions are. Yeah. That opening day, opening week. For sure. Yeah. Sure. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, yeah. But it's like the same, I mean, the same thing happens in gun season and, you know, anywhere where there's a weaker, longer gun season, it's like by about Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. you know, the weekend it'll pick back up. But it's like, there's been a lot of times where you roll up on a Wednesday and it's like, oh, there's nobody out here. Yeah. Like, it's kind of nice. It's like the whole, it's like, you're in a whole different state or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, no doubt. And it's and I guess relating it back to the elk season, I know of so many people that come out, you know, the hunt out west for elk early in the month, and then they're home, and then they're you know a lot of it too is like, you know, deer seasons are starting to open and and whatever else, so they're you know kind of gearing back up for that. But it's like it seems to me like the majority of the bugling happens later in the month. Now, with that being said, I say pick your time based off of what strategy you like and and just having an expectation as to what the elk are doing at that time frame. The first week of September, it's it's like they're not really broken up with cows. You know, the bulls aren't, they're still together. They're bachelored up. And, right. and actually, Warb and Ted, in, uh, when that year they hunted in Wyoming, mm-hmm. they, they have, like, some pretty cool observations because they were able to watch a hillside that had elk on it mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And for the next, from, like, I, I, I want to say the opener was on the 1st, and then they ended up shooting the bull on the 12th. And they said that it was crazy because on the 1st, there are all these bulls that aren't bugling. They're watching them, and they're not really bugling. They're, they're kind batch, of bachelored up. up. Yeah. There's no cows in sight. But then by the time they shot the bull on the 12, all these bulls are bugling back and forth to each other, and they kind of all got their own harem of cows. And they said every day it just changed just a little bit more. Just like the time, probably. It's probably a combination of the light change, just like with the white tail, and then yep. colder, and everything's just everything's just starting to fall into place. And uh, it did get colder as, as you know, when yeah. I first started, it was hot. It was like ridiculously hot. And yeah. then by the time, you know, I was done, it wasn't cold, cold, like it could have been where there was snow and, but it was, it was a big but there difference. Was snow, there was snow up high at, in the last day of, you know, last night of oh, season yeah. it snowed. So it's like, it definitely, you know, has its pros and cons because I think early, it, especially if you can get a visual on one and pattern them. I mean, you might be hunting more like a bed to food pattern. Right. 
I think as the month goes on, yeah, they might be bugling more, but that can be really challenging too, as we just talked. Like sometimes them bugling and being with gals makes them almost impossible to call right. to, which I've heard a lot of people say that. And I actually, a uh, guy that I've become friends with that is actually from um, uh, Ohio that's hunted in some of the same areas we have, mm-hmm. he texted me and said that it was great hunting early this year for him because he felt like the bulls were more vulnerable to calls. Right. And I found that pretty cool and interesting because I definitely felt like this season everything that we called to wasn't other than the one yeah (laughs) it's like it wasn't real they weren't real vulnerable to the call like they weren't even like i spent uh nine days hunting or filming grant and uh i don't honestly think that we had what i would consider a single call in not one right that's crazy which is crazy because we've been pretty successful successful. doing it well i i would like i didn't have the best success calling them in other than the cow call and the the, um, the raking uh-huh. but like i'll give you an example one of the really good days i went in i heard you just bull just going crazy you know and i was able to just go down the mountain the cover was good and i got down i just kept moving in moving in really not calling and got to a point where i saw cows mm-hmm. and the cows it turns out we're 10 to 40 yards and and eventually i saw upwards of 20 cows and a gigantic bull and uh he was just bugling and i just got to observing for like an hour and uh what i noticed i, I was close enough to the cows that i didn't i couldn't call mm-hmm. but i just thought well i watched him and he was bugle work on a tree go kind of check out a cow and uh, i thought well eventually if the way it's going here, the wind's perfect, he's going to work up his way this way and check some of these cows. Well, as it went on and on, it turns out a turkey flies out of a tree and kind of weirdly enough gets them all off track. And they do the, they all run together and they all run to him and look around. And he, at that point, I thought, I got nothing to lose. So I start raking and bugling and I got to visually just watch him. Mm-hmm. It definitely upset him. He was just, came 10 yards closer i mean almost like his chest was out i mean every time i would bugle he would bugle back and the lead cow eventually went up the other ridge i thought they were going to like spook and run away but as he turned and finally decided to follow him you know i realized 20 minutes later they're still there they're on the top of the next ridge mm-hmm. so i make a gigantic loop go back up into the dark timber I guess I would have been heading, I headed south until I came and felt comfortable cutting, thought I was going to try to cut ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did that. And just as I got to the top of the next ridge or mountain, I uh, heard him bugle again and he wasn't far. So I moved in again and again, it's almost like the same story. I look up and there's the cows again. Mm-hmm. Only this time they're 60 to 80 yards for me and he's 120. I called to him. He bugled every time and I could see him. Mm-hmm. cows just were eating they were just doing their thing and i knew that there was a the, the next area in front of them i knew there was a uh, wallow mm-hmm. so, man they're headed to the wallow so i just did another big squ- and i got ahead of them this time and i got to the wallow when i got to the wallow i didn't know the wallow was there i just knew that there was wallows down through there i mm-hmm. knew there were wallows farther up the i figured there's there's more water and i see a perfect wallow and i'm like they're coming and i just I set up, I called. Now I'm by myself. Now I just, this is one of the things I wanted to bring up earlier. Is I do think there's a big advantage to two people. 
or three. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I was able to several times call Bugle, and they would. I could tell the the, the bull was coming or wanted to come. Mm-hmm. But I think they just get to that point where they're looking for something big. They want to see it. They yeah. want to see it. And and well, anyhow, I I thought they're coming. They're coming. I'm doing a series of calls and then being patient. And this is like an hour and a half. And he's bugling. And eventually his bugling goes to that lazy, I'm bedded bugle. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not experienced by that. I'm like, in my opinion, they're bedded. Mm-hmm. So I move in closer. I move in closer. Well, I took my backpack off. I was carrying a pretty heavy backpack. Took it off. And I got up to where I'm just, it was like so close that I felt like, man, I can't go any closer. Like, I don't know how close they are. But but there's the way the mountain set up, I was going to be seen. And I sit there and I did some calling and he would bugle lazily. But I could tell he wasn't coming. So I ran back to my backpack, mm-hmm. put it on, bugled really loud, and was going to run back up to where I was. Well, I didn't make it back, and he came down. <laughs> and I heard him. I mean, when I was back to where I was, I could hear him cracking and popping and, and bugling. And he, so you think he was finally, when you worked off, he was coming down to where you had been? I think so. And then he just beat you back. I think he just beat me back. Where if two people would have been there mm-hmm. or three. Well, that's that's something that I've been talking to um, Ben and Colin a lot about. It's like, I feel like sometimes in the situation where you're the drop back caller, it's easy to be like, oh, I don't want to mess something up. You can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. <laughs> and like, you also like probably can't move around too, too much. Like right. as long as you're being smart about it and like not just, you know, running around back in open timber um or you know where they can see a long way the chances are if you're the drop back caller if they can't see the hunter then they're not going to see you right and i think that just keeping like a a buffer or like keep moving that buffer between you and the caller so so for example when i first started hunting with cody from Mm -hmm. born and raised the very first elk that we called in to in bow range, I remember him being all over the place back there. Right. Meanwhile, right beside each other, you know, probably 30 yards apart, Zach Sandow and Ted were on Wes and I's right shoulder. Right. And we're moving up towards the elk. Right. Wind's in our favor. But meanwhile, behind us, Cody's anywhere from 40 to like 150 yards. Like he's just running around back there. Like he's raking trees and he comes up and bugles and he drops back and bugles. And I feel like sometimes with our group, we have this tendency to just like lock up and freeze at 20 yards behind the, behind the shooter and, you know, not necessarily like making it seem like there's a lot of movement. It's like you get to a place feet end up in cement and you just never do anything. And I don't think that that is necessarily the best way to like bring an elk up through because also it's like, you know, with a turkey, it's a little bit different. It's almost like it almost comes down to like the spacing of a step, right? It's like an elk can, can up and like move 70 yards in an instant where a turkey is going to take them a little bit longer and it's the same thing with like when you're calling to a turkey maybe that scale or that buffer between you and the and the shooter if you're the drop back caller is a little bit smaller maybe it's more like you know tops 50 yards maybe it's 20 to 50 yards you're pulling them around but when you're when you're bow hunting an elk it's like there's so much more i think that 
buffer just can be so much bigger just because for one they can't see as well so even if being you know further back pulls the elk past the shooter at 60 yards instead of 20 because the elk can't see as well that hunter still has an opportunity to sneak that extra 20 to 30 yards to get the shot right and i think unlike a turkey where you have to be real specific you got to pull them you know 20 to 30 yards past your shooter because they can't that shooter can't move i think that makes a big difference too sure and being from you know get having quite a bit of experience in colorado but not really elk hunting (laughs) the the vastness of it kind of threw me off too like like when you're looking at your maps yeah yeah. you're looking at your onyx in ohio and you're like oh man i can get there and i can can get there real easy or i can drop down off this one and go up to that second ridge well all of a sudden it's like like, oh shoot this is 10 times as big like you just it took me it, it did take me a week or so to like this like man get a I scale just, i just got the scale was just crazy and you just and it wasn't anything compared to the scale where you hunting i don't mm-hmm. think that's a whole nother level yet i mean we're talking the difference between hundreds of yards and then going to you know half a mile to mm-hmm. where you're going two miles maybe mm-hmm. after this you know in this in the yeah, scale just, of the mountain range yeah it's like every the unique thing about elk habitat is it's it's like you can be in whether you're in this state or any of the other states where there's elk, it's, there's all kinds of different levels of how far is it between this ridge and this ridge, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and, and some of the stuff that we hunted with Grant and where Colin and I hunted, it's, it's very different in each of those situations, especially compared to, um, like where you've hunted. But then I've also, like, I know of places where, uh, Michael Parente's hunted elk in like Wyoming and it's, it's just like, it's like Ohio. Yeah. It's yeah. like real yeah. tight ridges and, and stuff's, you know, different, everything's different scale. And I think just having more confidence in that and that in general is a big thing for me. Like over the years I've continued to build confidence and I know I've talked about this before with you and on the podcast even, but I think that one thing that really helps me is I don't do a ton of like really specific off season scouting. Right. I try though to always take note of where I'm seeing animals, mm. but then also just trying to get a good scale of, and in it, in some sort of like concept of how long it's going to take to do certain things. Like, so for example, where we hunted this year, Whitney and I backpacked in it this mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. Just, you know, out there hiking, trying to get a gauge as to like how long is this going to take right with weight on your back and then also doing that and then just in general trying to like make the scale seem smaller to me so if i go out on a day hike on saturday for example and just you know do a 12 mile loop that builds my confidence that right no number is going to freak me out right well that's the luxury of living here sure. compared to somebody that like maybe is in um like pennsylvania or something but even then it's like if i were to be living in pennsylvania but knowing that i was going to make an elk trip every season i would still try to do the same thing it's like how can i get on a trail or um how can i just cover so much ground that i can almost make that number irrelevant Right. Because it's easy to get when you have this huge scale thing. Right. Like, for example, the last, the elk that we've shot during archery season, our group, has been six miles, 
15 miles and 11 miles from the truck. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So if, you know, but then if you look at the majority of the deer, they're about a mile and a half would probably be average. Right. There was a certain point where a mile and a half and my deer hunting career seemed was, like forever away. Uh, yeah. So far. Sure. But eventually that you know, you get used to that scale and then you're not intimidated by that number anymore. It's, it's the same thing that I try to do in the off season for elk is I try to get that number to where it's less intimidating, whether right. that means I'm walking around backpacking or I'm going on, you know, trying to run up a mountain and do a 14 mile trip and as fast as I can, well, it's all making that scale seem less well, intimidating. The very, the very first day I went, I went, I think I, yeah, it was a set. No, it was our anniversary was on the, my, your mom and I's anniversary. I didn't go the first day. I think I went the second day. Anyhow, I go in, and I, I think I must have been a Saturday. The, the Friday must have been the opener. But anyhow, I go in, and I walked. Let's say I walked. I mean, I walked forty-five minutes to an hour in the dark, in the mountain. And 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 after I, that seemed like monumental at the time. But like later in the month, it was like, oh gosh, I'm doing this, no problem. Right. Like it's not even a big deal. I'm just <laughs> that's just what you got to do to get here. And but that first day and then i hunted from there and i remember the point that i went to like I, this the place where i saw the bear the first mm -hmm. night i saw a moose i saw a bear but i felt like i was so far <laughs> away from like i was like and i was compared to the other hunters but i think that as the month went on i just got better feel like comfortable with it like okay i'm going to that point mm -hmm. then i'm gonna hunt yep and that's when I really, you know, like after I got to there, I was just like, that's the scale becomes less intimidating. It, it does. You're less, you're less concerned about like, wow, I'm not as far. Like, I'm still going to get back to the truck or yeah. I'm still going to be able to get back to camp depending on what you're doing or whatever. I think yeah. the biggest uh, thing that I would anticipate people like for sure going on like their first elk hunt would be the biggest challenge. I know it would have been for me having not gone with um cody i know right. i know it would i yes. know i know it would have been yeah so that helped everything it definitely helped it helped me get comfortable with the scale much quicker i would say like that's probably the number one thing and how that ties into like existing hunting experience was like you know i know what the scale is to get in the mountains of tennessee how to get up to a high point where i can hear a lot to listen for a turkey right but then I got to put that scale or like take that same concept and put it on the scale of the elk woods. Right. And that really helped me understand like how to get to places and not be worried about just like, just get up there because it's worth it. And, right. and he taught, definitely taught me that. That's like the thing that I tell so many people is like, don't be afraid to like, you know, just go into where you think it makes sense, even if it's super far. And I, I would see that being a, a, a hold up to where it could take multiple year right you know week or 10 day trips for somebody or a group if you weren't used to that scale so i really think that if you can look at the maps plan routes and just stick to that idea and not be get yourself freaked out right it's easier said than done it for is. sure but it like is. You know, having that plan, like if you're planning on going on your first elk trip or you went on your first one this year, whatever, two years ago, and you're planning on going on your next, you know, how can you plan to make that scale not well, so scary? I had can, it, what I had can it, you do? You, you, I don't know if you did. I know I redlined it like on Onyx like mm -hmm. my, and I went in that hour and then that's when I 
got off a road or the main trail, and mm -hmm. then I had my red line in the dark to this point, which was the highest point. And then I worked my way down some ridgebacks, mm -hmm. you know, off that highest mountain on my red line. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that was from you, but I. Like yeah. you're, you're saying, w w with your red line, you're saying you're planning a route. I had the planned route, and I pretty much stuck to it. And it did work out that that evening I had an encounter with an elk, mm -hmm. you know. I think, I think that's like something that's huge in general. Like, I, you can look at a map of mine, and it's just like, there's a lot going on because I put a whole bunch of potential routes. So before a hunt, one thing that I like doing is like from different access points, this doesn't matter if I'm deer or turkey or elk or whatever, I do kind of the same thing, but put different routes on your map, save them. Even like when I'm laying in bed in the summer before a hunt, I'm mapping these things out to where it's like, I know from this spot based off the terrain, I can class here. I can hear a lot here. You know, I know how far it is from this access point to this spot. And then when I get there based off of the situation, the conditions and the time of day or, or how much, how many days I have, how aggressive I want to be, right. I can just look at those lines, click them and say, okay, that, that one's however long. Now I have an expectation of how long it's going to take to get there. Right. So, and that really helps me map stuff out. And even in the moment, like what I, you know, what Ben and Colin and I are always doing when we're out there is like, we all sit there and we look at our map based off of like, let's just say we're up on a high point and we hear a bull bugle. We pull up our map. We all pin separately without talking about it, where we think he yeah, is. That's a good idea. And then we all draw a line of what our next route should be. And then we just switch phones. Like and, we don't even they, talk about doing it anymore. We just here. We think. And then you guys almost always have the similar route. It's the same line. Yeah, it it's, it ends it up be, most nine times out of 10. It's especially when you start looking at the topography, I guess. And you're like, Oh, I hear them straight down there, but that's, you, there's no recovering from that. Right. Like you gotta go <laughs> east or south or whatever. And then yeah. you go down this ridge and then you can go right down the nose of this mountain. Yes. And, and it's you know, like, how do you, how are we going to approach this with the wind in our favor and ease of travel right. for us? And then how to get into position, um, you know, to make that final move on them. And it, it has been like, I would say that's like, yeah, your Onyx tip of the day. <laughs> it is. You know, it is. Like, I mean, it's, Onyx has made it. I mean, so it's it's a useful tool for hunting. Yeah, it it's is. way more useful than anything. I mean, you can do all the scouting you want, and you can't cover all the ground. Mm -hmm. You can't cover a mountain. You can't cover a, a wildlife area in Ohio. Mm -hmm. that's, you know, sixty thousand whatever it is. You can't cover it all, but you can on a map. It's fun to just like continue to, you know, find new areas constantly that you're excited to go just check out. And, and a lot of times now, like it isn't until it's hunting season. Like I just don't always have a whole lot of time to go scout. Right. Really, I'd love to have a little bit more, but you know, well, yeah, work. Most people don't either. They get to work and they can. They yeah. Get, yeah. Well, I was at, uh, talking about not looking at the map. I had pretty much a funny experience this year. I, I, <laughs> I, I go in and I was telling you, I, I don't know if we talked about this earlier before on the podcast here or just earlier, but I go in early and I'm not even close to where I want to go in the dark and I hear a bunch of bulls bugling. Yeah. And so I go after them and, and um, I chase this bull and I chase this bugling bull like two more miles in over ridges over ridges over ridges 
gets to be 10 and I don't hear anything and I climb to the highest point, sit down to eat something. I mean, I'm five minutes into eating and I hear him and, uh-huh. and I know there he is and I go and I go in and I decided I'm going to be aggressive, right? I just start bugling and going after him and I mean, it's working. I mean, he's, I'm getting he's quite, responding. He's responding and it's, it's just, again, I get to that hundred yard, whatever it was and he, I'm like, he's not coming uh-huh. and there's a bull, right? And I'm like, not a big bull, but a hundred yard little valley in the mm-hmm. sub valley and he's out there on that and i'm like I give, this is it either i'm gonna blow him because i'm or i gotta stay here and i stayed and i stayed and i stayed and he never went anywhere and then i hear people talking this this is all sudden i hear people talking like what's going on and somebody else walked out on that ridge national forest and they start shooting guns did i tell you this no <laughs> but it, he doesn't stop bugling really? and they're just shooting some light caliber guns talking i don't know if they're just plunking or what but i could hear them hear him shooting and so i said well I, i'm not going back that way because <laughs> yeah. of the uh, so i just kept going i just kept going then i made that decision to go to the next one when he was in the bottom then by the time i did that i go all the way down chase him get to the bottom and it has that i call it the colorado literally the, the bottom of the creek is another just ridiculous steep and you have to have to climb down that climb up the other side get up on the other side and it's a lot of elk sign, but he's no longer bugling. So I've lost him. He probably, they, they covered it in no time and it took me a half an hour. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and they're still shooting and I could actually hear their bullets going like the, no, I'm like, no, I don't think it was close to me, but I could hear it going through the you valley. Could hear it. <laughs> it's like, I can't go back. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I know the trails. I, I looked, I'm like, I didn't look at the topography that close, but I'm like the closest way to the, to the trail. The, the road or the trail up there straight up straight up yeah that was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> i mean like two hours later Dude. i made it a half a mile yeah. and you know once i got to the top i was like oh man you know i just gotta take it i gotta i gotta just like lay down and like take yeah. a nap eat lunch <laughs> i mean it was it was brutal. brutal i mean it was at the point of like oh no am i gonna turn around mm-hmm. like i don't even know if i can get all the rest of the way up well you we had some somewhat similar, right? So we got, uh, maybe I should, maybe I should tell the story of yeah, this, yeah, this whole deal. Yeah, you better do that. That's the funnest part of the year. Like, yeah. I feel <laughs> like most, I feel like, uh, it'll, it'll be, this is just a good story to get you excited for the next elk series of videos that we come up with, which probably isn't going to be until next September because it's kind of what we've been doing. So for those that don't know, we always, you know, have saved up to this point. I can't guarantee or not guarantee this is going to happen, but I would assume we will. We've always saved our elk stuff for one year later. So like if you just watched Jake's, um, bull from that, if you just watched that on the channel, that was from 2021. So we're just like saving those for a year. It helps us get a head start on deer content and elk content for the following year. It just helps us get a head start and gives us more time to edit it and make it into um, a, a better video because we generally have a ton of footage. We usually have more cameras rolling and it's just a lot to tackle. So anyway, um, we, <laughs> we hunted a lot of days this season, which was really fun. Um, we hunted with Grant for, um, nine days and then that put us to where we had like six days of season left, I believe. And, and we kind of did 
a hard reset as we like to call it where we put all our footage backed up on hard drives we took a shower did a little bit of laundry um we actually recorded a podcast and edited the podcast <laughs> that day you know just did a number of things to kind of catch up on um i guess like real life stuff i guess not just being in the woods and that set us back a whole kind of a whole nother day by the time we got all that done we had woke up at daylight and done the chore list and then by the time we're done it's dark so we decided to hike in and like i said i'd been in this area before with my girlfriend and had a little bit of an expectation as to how long it was going to take and i knew that we weren't going to make it back to the area that we were targeting necessarily but we were going to cut some distance and cut some hours mm. off the hike so at eight o'clock p.m dark we decide that we're going to start to hike in so actually did i tell you that we're standing at the truck and here's a yeah. here's a dilemma for you <laughs> we're standing at the truck which you know would be the easy choice to like i've even got the tent and t trust me it was tempting yeah because it's like man we could just sleep here and i could sleep in my in my truck tent and i don't uh -huh. have to put up my sleep uh -huh. on stupid air pad and uh we're listening to this bull bugle right you know right up the mountain from the truck and it's just like oh, like what do we do and we kind of go back and forth and finally and i'm and i'm glad he did it because i think sometimes it helps ben basically just said and he and ben's keep filming so he doesn't you know he doesn't have as much invested in it right. necessarily he's just like you know what he's like if we don't go in there we spend a whole nother day chasing this thing close we're always going to wonder, mm -hmm. you know, we want to go back there. Sure. So we decided that we're going to do it and we spend the whole day hiking in, um, end up like, or I say the whole day, the whole rest of the night till about 11 o'clock hiking in, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, kept hiking. And we finally get up to where we can see the basin that we'd been targeting, um, all off season. And we didn't really have anything real specific. We just knew that that was kind of the starting point. And from there, we were going to just hop to the, you know, two or three other places within striking distance that we thought we could get to with the, the final five days left of season. And um, we ended up having, I guess, I guess I will save some of, some of the action for, for the videos, but we ended up getting into some pretty good action right once we got back there we glassed sure. up a whole herd right a uh, big bowl and we were like whoa like worth it you yeah because at this point you know we spent i mean at least seven hours hiking into this area grueling high elevation hiking all right. super steep trail right. and at this point it was all on trail but once we got to the basin we cut off of trail and um you know kind of had this trail this valley and hillsides, both both hillsides we were on and, and across the valley it was a trailless. So we ended up hunting that first day back in there and it kind of rained and we got to where we didn't get the the first one that we were on. And he was a nice six by six bull, but you know, I would say it's important to note we ended up finding ourselves in a weird spot to camp that night we just were on a super steep face and if you're looking at it like um if you were to lay that mountain straight down mm -hmm. 
it was kind of flat. Like there was no secondary ridge that protruded out to where you could kind of hear to your left and your right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and something that in elk hunting and turkey hunting I've noticed is you don't really want to be in the middle of a big flat area because you can't hear a whole long way. Right. Like, you want to be on a finger on the high point of a finger is what you've always, you know. A knob or, yeah, like the nose of a ridge, out right. on the nose of a ridge. And high knobs are the best because you kind of get that 360 uh, surround sound. But in this situation, we were pretty buried in like the straight flat hillside of a of a mountain so we couldn't hear very well down the ridge that we were on so we started kind of climbing that next morning and we're climbing up and we get ourselves into this situation where we're basically going across the hill at the head of these super big steep ditches yeah like stuff that you would fall and not come back up from so we had to kind of go around the head of like two or three i think it was three of these big ditches and Somewhere along the lines, about 10 o'clock, we got finally up to a point where we could kind of get up right at, you know, the point where we felt like we could hear a pretty good ways both to our left and our right. Kind of back mean, where you're we, only a day and a half into where you really want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what was interesting about like important to note about our mentality was, is because we didn't have, um, I guess because we had worked so hard to get in there, we didn't want to go back the way that we came. Sure. And we were up high and a bull bugled kind of down, like, I guess kind of quartered off to our right shoulder. So we knew we had more room to keep moving in the direction we had been moving across that face of the, the mountain, but we knew we wanted to get up, stay up above him, but he sounded like he was way down in there. And, you know, we still had a couple or another one or two of those big ditches to cross. Right. So we weren't going to just get there, you know, like that. We knew sure. it was still going to be at least a couple hours before we, we got in that zone. And I think this is one important thing to note about our strategy always. And again, something learned from, from Cody is like, if you hear one in a direction, you might lose him, you know, two or three times just based off the way the terrain is. But sure. if you just keep going that way, you're probably eventually going to catch up with them because they're going to bed or they're just going to slow down and feed in a specific spot. But, you know, same thing with the turkey. It's like sometimes you lose track of where he's at just because you can't hear him, but just staying on that course. And that's what we knew we were going to do. I wasn't overly thrilled about dropping though, because dropping meant we were headed back the way that we had came and we had worked so hard the night before to get up there and to, we didn't really want to drop in the first place at all. We kind of wanted to go up and just keep going up and around, um, some of the bigger peaks that we were around. And, um, anyway, we move probably, I don't even really know, maybe, maybe in total only like six tenths of a mile. But that eventually got us to a position where we were now lower, but still above where this bull was bugling. And mm-hmm. it's about probably one o'clock at this point. So originally heard him at like 1030, 1045 probably. And now it's like one, 130 maybe. And we had sunny skies, but the clouds are building and the wind started kind of picking up. And, you know, there's just so much noise happening that when he bugles, it's like, it sounds like he's down on the bench below us, but we can't tell if he's actually on the bench at the very bottom or actually all the way down and back up the other side. We can't quite Mm -hmm. tell, but we know that 
he's straight down below us. So straight down. Wind's coming up strong. Um, thermals are just pulling it straight up. But again, windy, and we can't really tell exactly what um, the distance between between us is. So I think we kind of decide that we should keep moving to our right a little bit more and just try to get a different angle to triangulate it. That was like sure. the term that we use is like the classic if we're here and we draw a straight line down the mountain and then we move over to our right, then we draw a straight line to where we think he is. Then you're going to kind of where those two lines cross. Two perspectives at least. Yeah. And I think drawing a line also helps in that situation. Sure. We, a lot of times we'll just draw. It's like, well, we think he's 300 yards, but we'll draw the line 600 yards. And then you go back and do it. And then they cross and right. where they cross. He's pr you're probably going to be within a hundred yards. Oh, so yeah. we ended up, getting our packs back on. We had taken like a little packs off break where we were just sitting there and right as we throw the packs on, I think I hear one off to our hard right. And I'm like, man, that sounded like that was way more to the right. It's like, well, maybe he's moving. So five or six times straight below us one time to our hard right. So we decided to move a couple hundred more yards and taking it pretty easy. Just listening a lot. But he, it seemed like he bugled five or six times and now it's silent. So we're sitting there and look at the clock and we start kind of making this like long-term plan. It's like, okay, we can get super ambitious and we can dive way down the mountain right now, mm -hmm. or we can kind of let him do his thing, get fired up, hopefully pinpoint him and then go into it with a little bit more of a specific plan without risking running all the way down the mountain. If he is moving around or, you know, if later tonight he comes up here, we got time, right? right. It's like we got six hours left of the day or whatever, right. probably five hours left of the day. So we sit down and that rain that was coming is like now across the valley and you can see the perfect line of rain where it's raining at the bottom of the valley that we're above mm -hmm. and on the other hillside, mountainside. Nothing. And where we're at, it's like just barely like winds kicking it to mm -hmm. us and we're just barely getting hit by drops and it's like we kind of talk about this quickly we're like you know let's just chill out here and colin's like should we just put the tarp up because up until this point too there's been like in the, in, in the last 10 days of hunting there's been three days of just brutal like soaking wet all, all right. day yeah. it's like should we just prevent it chill out put the tarp up stay dry and then make a move later we're like you know what yeah that makes the most sense so we tie the tarp up and Kyle and I sit down under the tarp and Ben kind of walks off alone and just listening. He's either listening or fed up with being with us for you know, needed five <laughs> minutes or whatever. And we uh, are all sitting there. We don't hear anything. Well, as 10 minutes go by, the rain just like clearly is just going to miss us. And it's like, well, that was stupid. We put the tarp up for nothing, but we kind of laugh at that for a minute. And Ben comes back. We sit down. We eat snacks we're completely sprawled out. Like we've got tarp up packs off stuff pulled out of the packs, like eating and, uh, just relaxing and listening. And again, we still think this bull's three to 400 yards below us at the minimum. And I'm like, man, should we just like bugle and just let out, you know, a bugle and just see if we can locate where he is, you know, maybe he'll respond and just at least give us a pinpoint and then we can make our next move based off of that. And Ben's like, yeah, I'd probably do it right now while the wind's dead. I pick up the bugle tube and bugle 
And as soon as I'm done with that, boom, one responds to our hard right, not where we were expecting <laughs> at all. And what I realized now is, is that bugle that I had heard before we made the move to where we set the tarp up was actually to the right. And he was on our level. Right. And I just, we were moving around right. and we were putting the packs on and couldn't tell. Not a good sense. Yeah. yeah. So he bugles and because we had moved in that direction, he's now only like, I mean, I would say tops like 70, 80 yards, maybe more like 60, 70. And it's like, it's one of those frantic moments. It's like, get ready. You know? <laughs> We've got the tarp up. It's so hilarious. We've got the tarp up, but luckily for us, where we were sitting, we were sitting there specifically because we could see down and across pretty well. We kind of had open trees in front of us, but everywhere around us was young pines. So, so we're in like a little cubby of cover, you Almost know? like a little blind. Yeah. And I grabbed my boat. Well, first thing I did was put rocks on my trash, which I just <laughs> think is hilarious because it was like, you know, I've got all my snack stuff out and he bugles and it's like, ah, we got to go now. So I put rocks on that. So it doesn't blow away. And I grab my bow, Ben grabs the camera, Colin grabs his bow and GoPro and we take off and we move up and move to where I'm looking to make sure we're safe and I'm listening and I hear movement. I hear a lot of breaking and I remember having to process for a second. It's like, is he spooked? Did he wind us? Is he coming? And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, he's raking. Oh, yeah. And be, because of like, actually, this is pretty cool. You know, this is what I get out of the podcast just as much as anybody. I just did one with Cody and he was talking about like solo hunting or maybe, I think it was when I was doing a podcast with Cody or I was just straight up watching a born and raised video and they were talking about moving when they're raking. Like they're not looking at anything, right? right? It's almost as good as them fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, their head's down, they're oh, yeah. banging they're, it against a tree. They can't hear anything or see anything. Yeah, so I remember just thinking, what the hell, I'm going to get as aggressive as I can. And I just cut another probably 30 yards, and I could tell now it's like there's enough open between where we are and where he's raking from that I am kind of afraid that he's going to see us if we go any further. But now we're talking 45 yards mm-hmm. from him. Right. And... I saw him pretty quickly after that and I could see his antlers thrashed in the tree and I talked to, you know, quickly check with Ben, like, you don't think we can get any closer, do you? Like, and maybe we could, I mean, who knows, maybe we could walk right up there. I don't know, but uh, I felt like the right decision was to hang loose and just had good cover. We were right up against, uh, probably a shoulder high to head high, little pine, young live pine in the shadow, just out, just to our right, it was out of shadow. You would so have been in the sun. Just yeah. tucked down there. We were on our knees, no packs on, you know, felt like a deer hunt, really. And um, Colin was dropped back just behind us. And I remember going through that classic, like, time felt like it was going so slow. But the whole, this whole, whole entire thing took seven minutes. Yeah, because you got the video. To go yeah, back in time. From, yeah, from the time we bugled to the time the the climax of the story is here he um it only took seven minutes so i'm sure it took two minutes but i heard him raking i could see him raking then all of a sudden i heard one last whoosh, and i was like you know not didn't hear anything like nothing straight up nothing and the wind was at this point like 
calming down quite a bit and it was like you'd think you'd hear something and um I kept kind of going back and forth like should I cow call and I asked Ben like should I cow call should I bugle should I do anything and it's just like ah did he wind us I remember asking Ben at one point did he wind us and I couldn't really decide what to do but I knew that I wanted to communicate with Colin sure I kept thinking man if like Colin breaks back like I think we got a really good chance and I couldn't see Colin and in his defense he could see me he was doing the right thing and I just couldn't see him whether it was because I was too worked up and you know wasn't looking hard enough or whatever it was I just couldn't see him but eventually after a couple of minutes I could see him back there sure. I could see his cam sticking out and his GoPro on his head and I lean out and I'm like hey can you drop back and rake and uh he gives me a head nod and it's so hilarious because even in his GoPro clip, you can see his head nod. It's pretty funny. And, uh, he dropped back right back to where the tarp was and started raking a tree. And like, I mean, pretty much as soon as he starts raking that tree, that bolt blasts off a bugle. And it's like, it's so funny. Ben and I laughed about this later. Ben goes, he's still there. And it's one of those deals where it's like, yeah, no I know. <laughs> and, uh, he pretty much just came in and it was so cool to watch every time Colin would snap a tree branch or like, you know, would like rake down a tree branch, the bull would snap his head over and look right through us. Mm-hmm. Like he was looking from not at you, but yeah, not at us, but right through us looking towards where Colin was. And there was even one time where he starts to take a step and Colin hits, you know, hits the rake again and it, he snaps his head right back. And I was ready to draw. I was in a position. I was tucked in those shadows, bends right off my right shoulder. And he eventually kind of went to the right. I got a good angle to draw where I knew that his head was behind a pine. I drew back came right up the trail that we had planned. I mean, when we set up, I'm pretty sure Ben asked me, I actually have watched this back again since I've shown it to you. And I forgot. Ben says, where's your best shot? I said, right there. Mm -hmm. It's like pretty cool that like you can kind of visualize it happening. And sure. And then it does. He did exactly that comes right up and it was 22 yards. And he was looking now like, now the way that he's come in his angle is to where he's not looking at us. He's still looking towards Colin, but he's not looking through us anymore. And I just knew like it was the perfect opportunity. He w- he wasn't going to have any reaction to the shot because he has no idea we're there. And I just put it right on the right on the spot that I wanted to hit shot and just straight a perfect frontal shot. Arrow disappeared into him, and he turned to run. And it I mean everything looked good, felt good, sounded good. Um, and he takes off running and Ben jumps up and gets just kind of following him, watching him and I'm getting another arrow ready. And we kind of like have this moment where everything kind of goes silent. And we're like, what is, you know, and I was like, Ben, I'm like, it looked good, didn't it? Like it yeah. looked like it went right in there. And he's like, it looked good. It sounded good. I think you drilled him. And as I'm like, I think I'm going to try to slip up there and, you know, keep moving. Do you think that's a good idea? And he's like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. And you hear crash and, oh yeah and we completely lose our minds <laughs> it was so cool because the 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 one of the things that we had learned earlier in the trip was you know depending on how loud the wind is or what factors make it easy or not easy to hear depends on uh, uh makes 
how you rake change. Sure. So what the example that we learned from was is Colin was back raking one day when we were hunting with Grant. Mm -hmm. So Grant's shooter, I'm cameraman, Colin's back raking. Mm -hmm. And he came into it super hot. It was a really, really calm last kind of bit of light. Mm -hmm. And he was like slamming trees together and it sounded more like somebody just taking a wooden baseball bat to a tree mm -hmm. just like clunk crack right. pop <laughs> versus when we had broke that down like post hunt and like debrief it's mm -hmm. like hey maybe in this situation where it's calm you you kind of approach it slightly different yeah. you kind of maybe do more of like combing the branches right to not make it sound so abrupt right and and we had also talked about like just dropping back that extra little bit out of sight. Right. And he did those things and it all worked. It all worked. <laughs> and I just think that like, that it's just so fun to have that satisfaction of, yeah, maybe we did this wrong last time. Let's talk about it. Not that any, not that it, the blames on any individual, it's right. a team effort out there. And like to have had those like little things, minor changes make that much of a big difference and it's also funny too because in 2019 it was the same three of us same exact situation and i'm i'm telling ben like man if colin rakes it's a done deal but he, he never did because he because in that situation it was our first day ever hunting together yeah he didn't he didn't really see us well enough to be able to communicate that all right you know i, I couldn't give him that signal to rake well this this season he was more experienced he was there and like yeah. man that's cool and the other thing too like that, that it's like probably my favorite line of the post shot reaction is like i couldn't have done it without you guys and i absolutely couldn't have like that's the part that you know i'll forever be thankful for those guys to like be out there and commit to doing crazy stuff because like <laughs> i definitely am pretty ambitious when it comes to like where we're going and I like doing it DIY, you know, there's, there's, you know, other ways to, to do it. And I just love going out, picking a spot on the map and no matter how far and how brutal the pack out's going to be, you even know, if we it's just 30 miles. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and then in total, we ended up doing with like piggybacking. So I guess this is kind of cool too. Like meat, meat care is just a, a good example when, when you first start, you know, or, or like when we first started quartering deer, even like we, we've learned so much since then. And the biggest thing is get the hide off. Right. Right. So we, we find him, we get the hide off of him that, that evening and we hung him up in game bags. Every, all the meat is like in game bags and hung up. We go to sleep that night knowing it's cool. You know, it was getting down probably at the like top top of you know, the the highest temperature it would be i would guess would be 40s upper 40s at the and 29 at night or something you, well no i was gonna say upper 40s at night but oh. even then it was probably more like 30s upper 30s at night you know somewhere it's like, in that it's colder range. than your refrigerator yeah, yeah yeah so we hung him up know that it's fine in the dark next morning we wake up and the very first thing that we do is take one trip about two miles down to the creek bottom mm -hmm. and we took one trip down hung up the meat went back up got the rest of it took it back down and that took a good part of the day because that was through the steepest and most deadfall it wasn't necessarily the like a super far distance it was only like i said a couple miles but 
you know, doing that piggyback, it's like two down, two back up, two down, two back, or, oh, or yeah, two, two, two back down. And, um, we ended up hanging it in specifically this spot where we were uptight against the north facing hillside. Mm-hmm. On that north facing hillside, there was almost like a U shape where there was a oxbow of the creek, a little bend, mm-hmm. and above it, you know, on that hillside was all live pines in that U shape. So, exactly where we hung the meat, I've been pretty much telling everybody it's like, I would say tops, there was an hour and a half the whole day that the sun was even hitting that spot tops. Now I was never there at the time frame when that was true. But if I would say if anything at like early in the morning, like nine to 10, maybe the sun hit that spot. And, and honestly, maybe, I don't even know That's if That's a spot ever where did. the snow stays for yeah till the end of like, till, you know, beginning of June. Yeah. 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 And it just, you know, really, as far as temperature goes, you've got a draft coming down through there. You've got the meat hung up with game bag in game bags where it's got air on it. And yeah, it's like as good as being in a cooler. So we ended up in total then packing out one load, ended up Logan, my brother came to help us. He and met Grant. us halfway back towards the truck on that first load. And then the next day, we went all the way back in and all the way back out for the rest of it. And we, in total, figure we're roughly 34 miles Jeez. in total of packing. That's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, in last year, we did a, a longer one trip, but we had enough guys that we could do it all in one right. trip. Like, straight from you know, the spot of the shot to... Five guys is the number, right, to get one it out. It is. Yeah. Four I think it is. not... Four is... Four you, you could, could do make. it if you had some, some big-legged characters, but... Or you had... Um, four miles mm-hmm. or three miles or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just it's every, every situation or you don't have any, or you have a trail, like a flat trail. Which, well, and, yeah. Also got to remember that first load we had camp too. Oh yeah. When we went in and back out, we went empty packs. That's what I'm saying. The fifth guy with packs, it's, it's like, that's the key. I think, I think that four guys can do it with your camp. If it's not, mm-hmm. it's all about, it's all about the again the situation and the elevation and the switchbacks yeah. and, the, and, and the amount of time you got into it how much trail you got and and in that particular situation i think it was about as hard as it's ever going to get but you never know i mean it could we could certainly make it worse on ourselves <laughs> i mean we could have if we had less guys last year when jake shot that one it would have been really oh, yeah. crazy i mean yeah. the total number there would have been insane because you know just going back in you're already at 30. Right. Just, yeah. So you could have been, been at 45. You could have been at 45. Ooh, yeah, that's not. But, I mean, again, the reason that absolutely understand that there's other ways you could do it. You could pay somebody to pack a meat packer or sure. whatever. But the reason that as of right now that we're choosing to do it this way is we just want to show other folks that, like, you know, if you don't want to spend the money or you don't have the money, you know, basically you need the gear and the tag to get out there. And then other than that, like you can do it DIY public land elk hunting is oh, like yeah. kind of the, the idea. So anyway, that's, that's the, that was the success story, I so, suppose. And this year was a good year. I it mean, was. it was a good year. I mean, I, even though I didn't get one, I was felt like Connie, my wife or Zach's mom's like, are you sad you didn't get one? I'm like, no, not really. I mean, I learned so much and yeah, I'd rather have got one, right. <laughs> but, uh, I think next year I'm going to get Rich out here with me, my yeah. friend, and we're going to get we're going to get on them together. And I think I think we can do it. I mean, I don't oh, think it's yeah. any. I think it can be done. You know. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, 
you were super close a lot of times. Oh yeah. So many times. The, the experience is so valuable. Like we, we were talked about just, you know, once, once Grant was, was leaving, it was like, man, I watched him do stuff on the last day that he didn't do on the first and second day. And I think that in itself is success. And, sure. and, I, and I really do believe that. I mean, it's easy as a hunter to get caught up in like filling the tag. But at the end of the day, if you're making improvements and you're learning, like that's success, that's making you a good hunter. Right now, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and not having <laughs> success, that kind of makes you like an insane you, person, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just try something different. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to make mistakes because mistakes teach you a lot. And I, yep. I mean, we talk about beating a dead horse. That's something we've talked about a lot over the years, but well, now we're looking forward to, would it be 2023? 2023 and whatever whatever deer hunts we got going oh, yeah. on now. deer hunts yeah <laughs> you got I, a deer tag i too. do i have a deer tag i have my first muzzleloader tag or not muzzleloader mule, mule deer. deer tag with a rifle yeah. i have not done hardly i've done very little rifle i mean i shot a rifle whitetail in georgia and i think that's the only time i've ever went rifle hunting except most of the rest of the time has been bow hunting muzzleloader in ohio you could only do shotgun for years yeah and I, well, and it's straight wall now. Straight so wall now, but, but mostly, mostly, most of my hunting has been uh, archery with a little bit of muzzleloader mixed in. And then now I'm going on my first mule deer rifle. So looking forward to it. And yep. it's high country. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be cool. It'll be a cool experience. And I think that's, you know, I guess kind of wrapping up in general to like the elk podcast, I think I said it maybe in the last one is like, I just really, really, uh, want people to know that this is an opportunity. You can go elk hunting. You know, when I was a kid and probably similar to you, dad, like I thought that to go elk hunting, you had to pay a bunch of money to, you know, get this special permit and you had to, you know, draw a tag and it was going to take years and years of preference points and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I realized it's like, not only, there are over-the-counter tags in multiple states there's also all kinds of other opportunities to get a preference point or two even you could do it in two to three years no problem even if you can't do it in one and mm-hmm. you can do it in one over-the-counter yeah you can you always have over-the-counter you always have like right. general tags and stuff that don't take a bunch of preference points and stuff and i just think that you know if you educate if you if you want to go if you educate yourself on the process of getting a tag and in, in ideally in multiple states, that way you have options and you get a group of people that you can go with that really helps as well. Like having Ben and Colin to consistent, to, to always be able to depend on those guys for the last four years has been huge. You know, this was like, I kept joking, like this is our senior year. Right. 2019 was our you freshman should, year. You should be ready to play. Yeah. <laughs> Sophomore year, junior year, senior year. It's like now, like in all four of those years, those guys have been with me for the archery season. And I think that just having people to depend on and, and what's also cool about it is those two guys, but then we also got a deep bench because right. we've been with you. We've been with Grant. We've been with Jake, right. Roy, um, Logan. It's so there's like, people that can fill in and like still do it, even though maybe, maybe you and Colin and 
been of the A team that there's guys right there that yeah. can come in and sub for a well, year. Well, it's not, or yeah, it's not even, even for a weekend or yeah. five days or something. And so. not necessarily that it's A team. It's just the the guys that are like definitely going. And some years, some guys do and don't. Or like you have a tag for a different spot. Or right. last year you were in Montana. Like we were doing different doing different stuff. But yeah, just having people to back it, like yep. back up and support and and can jump in and out whenever is a fun thing to have be a you, part of is pretty cool you said it I, I don't remember what year you said it but it's you got you need people that are just willing to go it's going to be tough it's going to be hard but just just go do it and yeah. don't complain you know it's just how it is <laughs> it's, it's just you might feel down a little bit but just keep going find some goofy classic country songs that keep you motivated <laughs> our, our our two from this season have been um Travis Tritt and it's a great day to be alive and then also there's one I can't even think of who it, I don't know who it is which I, I, it doesn't really matter but it's the one that goes you find out who your friends are <laughs> <laughs> we're joking about that because Grant Logan came back to just be yeah, just to carry from, one out just to have a day from hell just really. to, to be pit through por- pure torture <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody hope thank you, you yeah hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll talk to you on the next one see ya <laughs>